Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This podcast is sponsored by Small Farm University, the go-to resource for gardeners, homesteaders, and farmers around the world. Small Farm University delivers classes online and on demand with training on how to grow crops and how to grow a profitable farm business that serves you, your family, and your community well. Delivered by real farmers with hands-on experience and expertise, it's unique in its approach using the RIPED method for growing and building a farm or farm business. SFU membership includes access to a private Facebook group and monthly live Q&A sessions where you can get your questions answered and find the support you need. To learn more, visit growingfarmers.com today. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Dahlia Monteroso, who is most commonly known as the president of Chickenlandia. She is a backyard chicken educator, entertainer, and first-time author of her recently released book, Let's All Keep Chickens, where she shares the ins and outs of chicken keeping and so much more. Dahlia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So, okay. So when did you get interested in chickens? Oh, gosh. Um, Let's see. I think it was about 12 years ago. Um, we had just moved, well, we had been in, um, Northwest Washington for about three years. I had a new baby. We had moved from Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. uh, where I was totally like in that game. I was working as a personal assistant. I was working at lifetime television and I kind of just decided, okay, you know, I, I met my husband, we got married, we moved up here and we were like, uh, you know, we're just going to leave that fast paced life Mm -hmm. behind, but I had kind of let go of that dream. And so I was feeling, you know, as a new mom and I felt like I didn't have my own identity. And I was like, you know, I'm going to get some chickens. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like doing research and everything, you know, reading all the blogs and everything. And I went to the farm store. I got 10 baby chicks. I came home. I took those little baby chicks out of their little, I got them in like a bag. They were like in a paper bag and I okay. took them out and I put them one by one into the brooder. And I like to say there was like this divine intervention that happened. I was like hit by some kind of lightning bolt and my whole life changed. And I got really, really passionate about these creatures that have been by humanity's side for millennia. Um, mm. And then soon after that, uh, the the community college, I had gotten so passionate about them that everybody was like, what has happened to her? <laughs> and so <laughs> the community college uh, contacted me and they were like, would you like to teach a class? Mm. And I was like, um, okay. And so I did that. And then... Uh, I started to do seminars. I started teaching more classes. Um, I ended up doing a, a TEDx talk um, at the local university called I Dream of Chickens. And mm-hmm. then after that, it was just like this boulder rolling down a hill. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just became what I am right now. And it's certainly not what I thought I would be when I was in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 
it, it, it does. I do, you know, I feel super grateful for it because it's like this dream that I didn't know I needed that, uh-huh. that really came true. Yeah. So, and how did the moniker, the president of Chickenlandia come of? Well, I am self-appointed. Okay. So it was one of those that you're like, well, I could be, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. But I do believe my chickens would vote for me, you know, if if they could. Um, I, you know, at some point my husband and I, we owned a farm store, which is a whole nother story. Um, And within that farm store, there was a chicken section and the chicken section was called Chickenlandia. And so that's when I, and, and that, ah, you know, okay, the whole yeah. history of like why it's called Chickenlandia and everything, there's a whole history to that too. But mm-hmm. I, that's when I started calling myself the president of Chickenlandia. Yes. And I'm, assuming that, I'm assuming that somehow goes off Portlandia, the show somehow there. You know, that's what everybody thinks. But no. Okay. okay. Um, but I will say that is not where it came from. Um, Chickenlandia is, is actually kind of a nod to my ancestry. So um, my okay. parents are from Guatemala and my dad, when, when I was a little girl, he used to listen to shortwave radio. So every morning he would turn on shortwave radio and it would be a program from uh, Guatemala mm. and there would be a band. There was like a, I think a nine piece marimba band. It was, it's the most popular band that uh, uh-huh. marimba music um, that came out of Guatemala. And the band is called Chapinlandia. Gotcha. And Chapin, Chapin is the colloquial term for Guatemalan people. Gotcha. So, okay. And, and yes. the announcer would be like, Chapinlandia, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. I just remember that. That's like in my head. So that's mm-hmm. actually what it's a nod to. It has, it, it didn't come from Portlandia. Yeah. So, all right. So you started with the chickens. Um, now tell me a little bit about your book that you've just released. So my book is called Let's All Keep Chickens, The Down-to-Earth Guide to Natural Practices for Healthier Birds in a Happier World. Oh. And it is a how-to book. You know, it's it's great for people that are just getting started. It is also good for intermediate people who want to kind of lean in a more natural direction because that's certainly the, the direction mm-hmm. that I lean in. Um, more natural practices, less impact on the environment, all that good stuff. Um, but also, you know, I knew I needed to, uh, there's a lot of chicken books out there, like a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and people have a a ton of choices. So I, I needed to kind of differentiate myself from all these other chicken books. And I, I did that actually, like when I originally pitched the idea and, uh, story publishing picked it up. Mm Mm-hmm. It was before it was like when they picked it up, it was like September 2019. And I hadn't like most of the bones of the book already written because I'd been teaching for so many years and I also have a YouTube channel. So I have a lot of, you know, I had a lot of material already Uh that I just needed to kind of um, put together. So I had that. And then the pandemic happened. And when that happened, I, the way that I began to see chicken keeping really changed because I started to understand like, okay, this needs to be something that is accessible to everybody. 
-hmm. And, you know, the way that I dealt with what happened, and I really feel like, you know, no matter what side you were on, because unfortunately there were sides, you know, when mm -hmm. COVID happened that, you know, people kind of got really divided, but no matter what side you were on, it was a, it was a very traumatic time. Mm -hmm. And so the way that I dealt with that is I went out into my chicken yard and I was just like among my chickens. I watched them peck and scratch. I listened to the the little noises that they made. I, I felt that peace, that connection with nature that is so important. And mm -hmm. I was thinking about, you know, the people that don't have that. Mm -hmm. You know, they live in cities, they live in suburbs. Maybe they don't have, maybe it's against the law where they live. Or they just, you know, they live in an apartment building. They just don't have that access to nature every day. Mm -hmm. And I just started to really feel like it is absolutely crucial that this experience include everybody. So I really changed the, the, the book at that point. And I do take a lot from like my own personal history. I talk about my great grandmother in Guatemala. She had, she raised chickens her chickens lived in a tree, you know, she uh -huh, fed them uh -huh. like yeah. kitchen scraps and then everything else was like up to them. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's what anyone needs to do. Like, obviously I have my, my chickens live in a coop. They're in like a predator proof area. Um, so I get that because I, I want to keep my chickens safe, but I really will stress to people to keep as their foundation, this you know, this fact that chickens are extremely resilient, they're very adaptable, and the poorest people in the world are able to have them. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're, if they're allowed, they can have them because traditionally it has been a very sustainable practice. And we in the Western world have kind of changed it into something that actually uses resources. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my idea is, you know, let's not try and reinvent the wheel. Let's not think about chicken keeping, you know, backyard chicken keeping through this factory farm lens, which is how we see it because there's so much influence from that industry Absolutely. and start to, you know, start to go back and see how this was done traditionally and how it's done traditionally throughout the world. Mm -hmm. So all of that was very important to me to include in the book. Um, and I, I feel like that's how it's kind of different. Like I, I, I not only wanted to teach people a way to have chickens and so that they're not like stressed out about it, you know, they can, they feel like they can do it. They feel like they can afford it, but also I wanted them to see the meaning in it. Mm -hmm. you know? And I'll always say like chicken, chickens are in all of our ancestry. And so maybe we can use that to kind of come back together and <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll tell people I'm trying to save the world one chicken at a time, you know? <laughs> yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Small Farm University, the go-to resource for gardeners, homesteaders, and farmers around the world. Small Farm University delivers classes online and on demand with training on how to grow crops and how to grow a profitable farm business that serves you, your family, and your community well. Applying what you learn in SFU could save you thousands of hours and thousands of dollars. And it can save you the agony of costly mistakes some make just because they don't know what they don't know.
Delivered by real farmers with hands-on experience and expertise, it is unique in its approach, using the ripened method for growing and building a farm or farm business. Here are a few highlights of what SFU has to offer in its growing library of resources. Find your perfect farm property. Whether you are renting or purchasing, this course guides you through vetting the farm property and determining how or if it suits your business needs. We give you the secret sauce for what makes a profitable farm property and help save you thousands of dollars. Start your farm intensive. Fleshing out your farm idea, craft your one-page business plan, and discover the right funding options for your business. Use our business templates, worksheets, and calculators to figure out the numbers as you go. Farmer's Market Success System. Learn how to attract and convert customers by building an unstoppable marketing and business system for your farmer's markets. Production Mastery Series. Learn all about growing, harvesting, and drying greens. Learn about tunnel building and take special ed classes such as brand new and very popular Elderberry Masterclass. We include real-life examples and calculators for figuring out fertility rates, how much money you are actually making, and where your profit is coming from. Business Systems and Marketing Courses. Learn about the SFU Ripen Formula for Success, develop your marketing plan, and join in for behind-the-scenes tours of real farm businesses. Learn the systems you need to run your business well and how to hire a team to help you. And learn how you can add value to what you produce to generate even more income with minimal additional time and expense. In addition, members of SFU get access to the Growing Farmer Summits on demand with over 100 sessions of targeted areas of interest to farmers. These annual online events have attracted over 100,000 people from around the world, and they are included in your SFU membership as a bonus. SFU membership includes access to a private member group, monthly group Q&A sessions, and even one-on-one coaching sessions where you can get your questions answered and find the support you need. To learn more, visit growingfarmers.com today. Absolutely. Yeah, chickens are. And that's one of those things you're right that, you know, one neighbor can have a chickens and share eggs with everyone else and people can give them their scraps for the chickens. So it's a very connecting thing. And I think you're right that, you know, during the pandemic, people were locked in houses or, you know, fearful in houses. And, you know, what better way to get outside in your backyard is to keep a few chickens, which are you know, very social animals and actually incredibly fun once you've got them tamed pretty well. They can be really um, fun animals to have. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, our neighbor has chickens literally probably maybe less than 100 yards from our house. And, you know, you hear them in the morning when they're laying eggs, but it's not that noisy. And other than that, you just see eggs. So, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things with our, with our audience, we have a lot of homesteaders that are definitely very interested in starting their chickens for the first time, but we also have a lot of farmers. Now I feel farmers can really support backyard, um, uh, chicken raisers, people want to raise chickens and also kind of add income. What are some ways you think that they can help each other? Well, one thing that I'm seeing a lot and it's very encouraging is that, you know, more farmers are seeing like, okay, there, there is a need there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these communities that don't have access to what they have um, can really benefit for what they, from what they can provide. So I think it's really important for farmers to kind of think beyond uh, wh- where they live and what they're able to do on their land and think about the people that really do not have access to that. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I see, and even like among like uh, bigger educators, um, and I'm not speaking poorly of them. I, ju- I just think this is one thing that I've observed is that, you know, there's this, there's this idea of like, you know, we need to get more sustainable. We need more small farms. Um, we need to focus on farmers markets, which is all great. All that stuff is great. I love mm-hmm. that stuff. 
But one of the things I think about is, okay, there are people that literally do not have access to fresh food. Like they don't even have a grocery store mm. within walking distance of where they live. So how can we kind of bring these concepts into the city so that we can have community, that communities are able to actually do farming, keep chickens and have fresh food in their own communities. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that really, I kind of see myself almost like a liaison between like the farmer and the, the city and the suburbs, because, you know, I grew up, I grew up in the city. I am from the city or actually I grew up in the suburbs. I've lived in many cities. I am not, you know, I don't consider myself like this farmer. <laughs> My main thing is chickens and I've mainly focused on urban and city chickens. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's just very valuable to get some of that knowledge and bring it into the city and it just kind of expand a little bit. I would like to see that included when we're talking about the future, when we're talking get, about getting more sustainable. I'd like to think about how we can bring some of those ideas into urban areas because I want people, you know, I want to see chickens. I want to see community chickens in apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I want to see, but I, I'm not, I'm just not seeing a lot of that outreach. I know it's there and I'd certainly, I, I would just love to see more of that. I think. Well, and I think part of the reason is there's a lot of um, misconceptions about chickens, as you said earlier. Yes. And the misconceptions causes there to be rules in a lot of municipalities against chickens. I mean, New York City actually allows chickens because they're, you know, in one aspect, a little bit progressive, but on that, but uh, there's so many other cities and um, even townships that don't allow those to be in, in, in their, their borders. Yes. And I'm, I'm very passionate about that. I, I, you know, I really commend people that are in the cities and suburbs where you can allow chickens. I commend them for having chickens because I think that we need more people to have chickens. I think we need more education. I think it needs, you know, the sound of chickens needs to be normalized. You know, mm -hmm. I come, my family comes from Central America like there's chickens everywhere. There's yeah. like roosters everywhere. And it's part, nobody is like complaining. Okay. Yeah. It's part of the ambiance of the city. Mm -hmm. And it, I, it is very interesting to me. And I think it's important for us to kind of think about what the, the roots of this is that we have these feelings about the sound of chickens, particularly about the sound of a rooster that it's like, you know, it's like this awful sound. And yet in, because, you know, you use the example of New York city, they can't have roosters there. They can have chickens, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of sounds happening in New York city, you know, yeah. <laughs> a lot of like yeah. really loud sounds. So yeah, chicken is the least <laughs> of people's worries. And somehow those are like acceptable. They're like part of the ambiance. And yet if mm -hmm. you hear a rooster crow, people really don't like that. So it's worth it to kind of examine where that idea comes from, like what the root of that is and, you know, kind of look into the history of chicken keeping when it came out of the cities. Um, and, and a lot of what's happened now, it's so funny because like in the past chicken keeping has been kind of seen as like low class. Mm. So I really kind of see it as like a class issue. 
Mm, yeah. And well, then, I think a lot and, of that comes from raising fighting roosters. Because uh, that, possibly, yes. Some of it, yeah, yes. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that now there's kind of this thing where um, there are some some affluent places that where now you can have chickens. Um, there's been some, some big celebrities that have chickens, which is great. I love that, Uh you know, wherever chickens are, I think that's great. But because we have this Westernized view of chicken keeping, it's become this thing where people think it's expensive. So there's like, now there's like, you know, at one point it's like, oh, this is what poor people do. Mm. And now there's this, there's this thing where it's like, well, you can't afford it. Yes. You know? Yeah. 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 And so- yeah. And the quality of the eggs is just so much better. I mean, oh, yeah. so we have, we, we have a farm stand, a uh, farm store here in Southwest Ohio. When we bring in certified organic eggs from a local guy who's in Preble County has a couple, I don't know how many thousand, but it's a lot of thousands of hens. We also bring in local eggs from just backyard people around here, but the mm-hmm. eggs we eat are from my in-laws and I will say that we can crack each one every time and we can detect exactly know who, uh, which eggs are which. Um, yes. Again, not that they're bad eggs, but the eggs that we eat from our in-laws are just so much better. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that's a huge thing is that it really doesn't take that much to actually have better quality food in your life. No, it doesn't. And I, and I think everybody, everybody should have access to that. You know, I really want to see that. I really want to see that everywhere. That's just very important to me. Yeah. Now I'm assuming that when the egg prices just went through the roof, um, was it last year that um, that was probably a big uptick in, in interest? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, even before that, like as awful as the the whole COVID thing was, mm. um, it was literally the best thing that ever happened to backyard chickens. <laughs> like, yeah. My business just like shot up. I mean. It yeah. was, it was huge. You know, my, my main thing is my YouTube channel and like all of a sudden the views and subscribers and everything, it was just like going through the roof. Um, <laughs> and then yes, when, when that happened, when the, uh, prices, uh, for eggs skyrocketed, um, I did see an uptick. Um, I did get uh, my feathers in a, in a, in a ruffle during that time because there was a lot of, there were a lot of articles that came out during that time that were really discouraging people from getting chickens and talking about how expensive it is. Uh And so, you know, I had made a video about it and I was talking a lot about it on social media because I was like, look, you know, yes, it can be expensive. I love my bells and whistles for my chickens. I've spent a lot of money on my chickens, but we also need to talk about how people can have this be affordable for them. Like we need to offer solutions to them. We can't just say, oh, it's expensive. So it's not for you. Mm -hmm. You know, we've Mm -hmm. got, we've got to think about what, how can we make this more accessible? So, Mm -hmm. and so I was just really trying to educate people and kind of get them out of this mindset where it's like, oh, you know, chicken keeping is so expensive. It's hard. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I shouldn't do it. I can't do it. I just don't want people to feel that way because I honestly feel like it's not true, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, what advice would you give to someone who's, you know, thinking of doing chickens their first time? You know, um, I, I think I would say to them, first off, just 
as you go into this, remember that human beings have been keeping chickens for a very, very long time. Uh, this isn't anything new. It is, it's within you. It's in your history. And it is a perfectly natural thing for you to do. You know, I work, I, I deal with, um, or I work with a lot of people who get really, you know, they go online, they see a lot of information, they get very overwhelmed and then they're really stressed out, which is like the absolute opposite of what should be happening when you get, when you yeah. have chickens, you know, you're not getting them so you can stress out. It should actually be something that is like a stress relief for you. So that's what I like to remind people. Like, just remember that this is a perfectly natural thing for you to do and trust your instincts because there's going to be situations that you, you know, that happen where you don't know what to do. And I think in those moments, if you can really ask yourself, okay, what, what does my gut tell me to do and kind of get into in connection with that, then that will be very valuable to you. Because if you, if you go online and you go on Facebook and you go into, you know, some chicken group that you're part of, not, I'm not saying anything bad about them. I'm in, I'm in one that's really great. But the tendency is for people to be very alarmist in those groups. And so you can go in and say, oh, I have a chicken that's limping. And everyone's like, they've got Merrick's disease. You need to put all your chickens yeah. down. You know? it's like, yeah. It's like, no, not necessarily. Let's not jump to those conclusions. Like, um, yeah. just take it easy and, and, and give yourself time to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you also have a website where people can find out more about um, your book and then just uh, lots of chicken information. Want to share that with folks? Yes, it is called welcome to chickenlandia.com. And if you go there, you will find access to my book. I've also got an online course that I teach and I have a podcast that is called Bok Talk. That's T-A-W-K. <laughs> Um, and my blog is there too. So it's all, it's all there. And, or you could go to my YouTube channel. Welcome to chickenlandia. Uh, I'm sorry. It's the YouTube channel is called welcome to chickenlandia. Yeah. So you're on the web, you've got a podcast, Instagram, Facebook, and then your YouTube channel. So lots of places to connect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time sharing about your book and, um, about helping more folks have chickens. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.